Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. When Jacob called God the God of his father, Jacob was thinking of the history of God and his father and how God had helped his father. It's very interesting. It's very interesting how Jacob put the history of God with his fathers before his own personal history. When he said in Genesis 48, 15, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all the day uh, long unto this day. See, that shows us that when Jacob thought of God, he thought of what God had done for his grandfather and his father. Jacob thought of their experiences with God before he thought of his own experiences with God. It shows us that we should think of the experience of others in the Bible the experience that they had with God as recorded in the Bible before we think of our own personal experiences with God. We should be identifying ourselves with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and thinking of their experiences of God before we think of our own experiences, personal experiences with God. See, it shows us how when we read the Bible history, we should see ourselves in their shoes. We should see ourselves as Abraham when God saved his wife from being taken by Pharaoh. And then we should say, my God is the God of Abraham. We should see ourselves as Isaac in Isaac's shoes when God saved him from the Philistines. And then say, my God is the God of Isaac. And we should see ourselves as Jacob right now and and how God kept Laban from hurting him. And then we say, my God is the God of Jacob. See, that's an essential link. There's an essential link here that Jacob saw between his God and the God of his father. Jacob clearly saw that link that his God was the God of his father. That link that Jacob clearly saw that his God was the same as the God of his father is important for us to clearly see. Do we clearly see, the question, do we clearly see as Jacob did that link between our God and the God of the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we clearly see as Jacob saw that link that our God is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Moses? Do we clearly see, as Jacob did, that link that our God is the God of the Old Testament? By calling God the God of my father, Jacob was emphasizing that his God was the same as the God of his father. To clearly see, as Jacob did, the link between our God and the God of the Old Testament is why I emphasize the word Jehovah Jesus, But when Jacob called God the God of his father, that was a great commendation back to Isaac. It was. How wonderful for Isaac to know, as he does now at least, that with all of his problems, all the problems that Isaac had in his life, and he had a lot, that Isaac still was successful in instructing his son Jacob as to who God was. 
So much so that now, after Jacob has been away for Isaac for decades, he hasn't seen him or heard from him, Jacob encounters God and says, oh yes, this is the God of my father. See, fathers, isn't it great to have children, children call God the God of my father? I mean, when a child does that, what Jacob does, and calls the God, the God of my father, that child is saying, oh yes, dad taught me about God by showing me in his life how God was his God. I didn't learn about God because dad didn't teach me about some cold, sterile God. Dad didn't teach me about religion. Dad didn't teach me about a denomination. Dad taught me by his life his life where I saw his reliance on God. That was my father's God. I know God is because I saw in my dad's life how God was my father's God. When Jacob called God the God of his father, Jacob was saying that by what he saw when he was growing up, that he was sure that God was his father's God. That's a real test. It's a real test there of how God is a person's God is to ask his child, ask his child the following question. Just ask a child, say, how is God your father's God? How is God your father, your dad's God? What did you specifically see? What have you specifically seen when you were growing up that convinced you that God was your father's God? When you were growing up, what did you specifically observe? What did you specifically see of your father worshiping God. So that you would say by what you saw when your father worshiped God that you're sure that God was your father's God. What is it? When you were growing up, what did you specifically see of your father relying on God? So that you would say now that by what you saw when you were growing up, that when your father relied on God, that you're sure that God was your father's God. When you were growing up, what did you specifically see of your father trusting God for help? So that you, you would say that by what I saw when my father was in trouble and trusted God, I'm sure that God was my father's God. See, by what Jacob saw when he was growing up, Jacob was convinced that God was his father's God. Now, we come now, verse 6, Jacob is really pouring his heart out to his wives, and he appeals to them. And he says to them, you know that with all my power I served your father? See, Jacob says to his wife, you know that with all my power, I've served your father. He was appealing to what they saw. He says, you saw? He was saying to his wives, Rachel and Leah, you saw how I spent all those cold nights all night long out there with Laban's animals, caring for them, your father's animals, so that they wouldn't die from exposure or predators? You know, I didn't just, you know, punch out at, at five and say, well, I hope you're all still here when I come back tomorrow morning. His wife, he's saying to his wife, says, you saw? how I was burned to a crisp out there in that hot desert days, watching over your father's animals so they wouldn't die from thirst. You know, caring for animals in the field, that's a hard job. It's hard work. Hard enough to care, care for them when they're in pens. But, you know. And so he, he said, I poured all the strength into caring for your father's animals in, in the service of your father. And, and we could just picture uh, Jacob's presentation now to Laban's daughters. And in verse 5, Jacob tells Laban's daughters that, that their father's against them, against him. And in verse 6, he tells Laban's daughters that he served their father with all his power. And now in verse 7, Jacob says, And your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. Oh, he's come out with a very serious accusation now. <laughs> you know? And so notice how in each of these verses, Jacob keeps saying, Your father, your father, your father. 
And when he gets to verse 7, he lays it out. And he says, your father hath deceived me. He's playing a risky game here. Jacob's playing a very risky game with all this your father talk. This is very risky. Why? Potentially very dangerous for Jacob. You know, his wives might say, wait a second, you're talking about my dad? We're not going to let you talk about my father that way. Uh, you know, but, but they don't stop. They don't stop Jacob as he tells them their father's a cheat and he's misled them. He's lied to him. He's used deception and they don't stop him. No, that's good. Good for Leah and Rachel because what we see them doing here is that when it came to choosing between their father and their husband, Rachel and Leah chose their husband. And just if it ever came to choose between parents and wife, the husband was to choose his wife, as it says in Genesis 2.24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. There shall be one flesh. That doesn't always happen. But here it did. So when Rachel and Leah had to choose between their father and their husband, Rachel and Leah stood by their man. And when Jacob says that Laban changed his wages 10 times, we sit up and say, what? I don't remember. What? what? And we learn something. We learned something. We didn't know this until he said this. Up until now, we didn't know that Laban changed the rules of the game in the middle of the game, but that's what he did. See, when we read what Jacob said here, we say, first of all, we say, what? What? What do you mean? Oh, we understand. Well, what happened, Jacob? Okay. Please explain. How did Laban change the wages 10 times? And Jacob says, okay, I'll explain in verse 8. And he said, in verse 8, if he said thus, the speckled shall be thy wages, then all the cattle bear speckled. If he said thus, the ring streak shall be thy, thy hire, then bear all the cattle ring streak. So, ring streak. so you see, during these six years, since the lambing and kidding time is twice per year, there were 12 birthings. And so Laban had agreed at the beginning, all the nine white sheep, that's yours, all the non-black goats, that's yours, Jacob's. So those were the rules of the game at the beginning of the game, the beginning of the six years. But from what Jacob has said here, Laban changed the rules. He changed the games. He looked at each, what happened here is that Laban must have looked at each birthing, and after each birthing, he changed the rules for the next birthing. So Jacob looked at the kids and the lambs that were born, and if there were no speckled, then Jacob said, okay, new rules, new rules, new game rules here. Only the speckled, the new speckled animal will be your wages. And if Laban succumbs the next birthing, he, he sees there weren't any striped animals. And he says, okay, new rules, new game rules here. Only the new striped animals will be your wages. He must have done this 10 times. Oh, man. So this is what he did. At each birthing, he looked at the new animals, and he reset the rules to be only those new animals that weren't present in the last birthing. You know, Laban kept God really busy. What a worn God out, <laughs> changing all these animals around. But, and that's what belonged to Jacob, the next birthing. So that's a dirty trick. That's a really dirty trick that he's done here. And Jacob describes it in verse 7 here. Your father hath deceived me and changed my wages 10 times. But Jacob trusted God, and he watched God undertake for him to not allow Laban to hurt Jacob and Jacob described how God protected him from, from Laban changing, changing the rules, changing his wages 10 times, uh, 10 out of the 12 times. And when he said in verse 8, he described it. What a wonderful statement that Jacob made in verse 7 when he said, God suffered him not to hurt me. 
See, Laban's intention was to hurt Jacob, and Jacob was helpless to keep Laban from hurting him. And there's only one reason that Laban did not hurt Jacob, and that's the end of verse 7. God suffered him not to hurt me. You know, we've got enemies in life. They want to hurt us. And the only reason they don't hurt us is because God suffers them not to hurt us. You know, Pharaoh and his army, they came after the Jewish people in chariots. They, the Jewish people didn't have chariots, but Pharaoh and his army had chariots at the Red Sea, and his intention was to hurt them, to kill them, and the only reason that they were not hurt is because God took the wheels off. <laughs> he took the wheels off the chariots while they were going real fast so that the chariot frames rammed into the ground. And that's what it says in Exodus 14, 24. It says, And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels. I would have loved to have seen that. <laughs> As one turns to the other and says, you know, didn't you put that lug nut on there good? <laughs> says, yeah, you call me a lug. Anyway, so, you know, the chariot wheels came off and it says, so that they drave them heavily. So that the Egyptians said, they didn't turn to each other and say, did you put the lug nuts on? They, they said, let us free from the, flee from the face of Israel. For the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. They looked at their wheels and they said, this is not by chance. God's taking the wheels off of these. So Laban wanted to hurt Jacob. God suffered Laban not to hurt Jacob, which is what happened with Peter when the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke twenty two thirty one. 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, in other words, you're not seeing this, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. But I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. See, there's Peter. He's not aware at all. He's just kind of going through his day. He doesn't have any idea what's going on. He has no idea. Peter has no idea. Plans have been made to hurt him. Lures have been placed to hurt him. Traps had been set to hurt him. And there's only one reason why those plans and those lures and those traps failed to hurt Peter. Same reason why those wheels failed to hurt Israel is because the Lord Jesus Christ did not suffer Satan to hurt him. There's only one reason why Laban was not able to hurt Jacob. In verse 7, God suffered him not to hurt me. See, when I accused the largest clinical lab in the world, $6 billion quest diagnostics of harming dialysis patients, killing dialysis patients. I didn't really mince any words. Um, they got a little upset with me. I don't know why. And in 2002, they bought what turned out to be an invalid patent, an invalid German patent, just so they could sue me in federal court for patent infringement. And they made my legal fees expensive so that the legal fees came to $8 million. And I only had a million dollars in the bank. You know, 25 years of business, $1 million in the bank. So, you know, a little math there, you need seven more. And, but also, we needed $8 million to finish the building at Takati, which we're, you know, just all lined it up with the bank for a loan and so forth. But Quest had one intention. They wanted to kill me financially, which would have happened if not for verse 7, God suffered him not to hurt me. When miraculously, I mean, when, once we got sued, the bank says, no, forget about that loan idea. So God miraculously blessed antibodies with millions of dollars of excess profits. After 25 years, only have $1 million of profits. And during five years of a lawsuit, when we were focused on the lawsuit, not focused on the business, and the business makes $15 million in excess profits. 
See, that's God not suffering them to hurt me. So in verse 7, Jacob said, God did not suffer Laban to hurt him. And in verse 8, Jacob described how God kept Laban from hurting him by controlling the color of the newborn animals. And in verse 9, then Jacob declared what God accomplished. He says, I'll tell you what he accomplished. In verse 9, God had taken away the cattle of your father and given it to me. That's the righteousness of God. What Jacob was saying in verse 9 is that God was saying, it's not right that Jacob should do all this work for free for Laban and that Laban should not pay Jacob. So I'll use Laban's estate to pay Jacob for all his hard work. That's the righteous God who paid Jacob for his hard work out of Laban's estate. Just as when God paid the Jewish people for building those nice pyramids that we even see today in Egypt. When the Jewish people left Egypt, we read in Exodus 3.22, every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her who sojourneth in her house jewels of silver, jewels of gold, jewels of raiment, and she'll put them upon your sons, upon your daughters, you shall spoil the Egyptians. And then it says in Exodus 11.2, speak now in the ears of the people and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and so See, the Hebrew word there is sha'al, that is translated as borrow. The problem with using the word borrow for translating sha'al is that it kind of gives the idea that there's some kind of a promise to return the jewels later. I mean, but the Egyptians knew the Jewish people had no intention of ever returning to Egypt. They said that was a bad idea in the first place, and we're not going back. And so they knew that the Jewish people were not going to come back and say, well, here's the jewels I borrowed from you, you know. The idea of return is not in the meaning of the Hebrew word sha'al. Sha'al has the meaning of ask or require or demand. So what happened in Egypt was that the righteous God said, you know, it's not right that the Jewish people should do all this hard work of building all these pyramids for free, and the Egyptians shouldn't pay for them. So I'll use the jewels of the Egyptian women to pay the Jewish people for all their hard work. I mean, where else does the money, hard-earned money of a man go but jewels for his wife? So, so the righteous God paid the Jewish people for building the pyramids out of the personal estates of the Egyptian families. And this shows that God does not forget. God does not forget work and labor, which is what he says in Hebrews 6.10. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you've showed toward his name, and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. The righteous God does not forget to make sure that debts are paid, because it would not be right for debts to not be paid. And God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. And to do that, sometimes God uses the wealth of the sinner as it says in Proverbs 13, 22, the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. So in verse 9, Jacob is looking back over what happened, and he says, boy, thus God took away the cattle of your father and given it to me. And he finishes the description of what happened with these words, and given them to me. That's all Jacob says. That's what he said what happened. He says that what happened was that God took away Laban's cattle and gave them to me. Oh, wait a minute. We looked at it and said, wait a minute, what about the last chapter we just read? What about all this, uh, verse, uh, chapter 30, verse 37? What, what about all this Jacob took him rods of green poplar, hazel, chestnut tree, piled, pilled white streaks in them, made the white appear which is, was in the rods? What about him in verse 38? He set the rods which he'd pilled before the flocks and the gutters, the watering troughs, when the flocks came to drink, that should not conceive. And 
about verse 40? And Jacob did separate the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the ring straight. What about verse 41? When several stronger cattle did conceive, Jacob laid the rods before their eyes and so forth. What about that? What about all that selecting of the rods? What about all that carving of the streaks in those rods? What about all that placing of the rods in the water troughs? What about all that separating of the lambs? What about all that setting the faces of flock toward those odd-colored animals? What about all that positioning the rods in the eyes of the flocks? You know, all that selecting and carving and placing and separating and setting and positioning, that was a lot of work. Doesn't that count? Jacob, when you describe what happened, you don't say anything about that? No, he doesn't. He just said, God gave them to me. Jacob, when you describe what happened, no mention of God helps those who help themselves? No. Jacob, when you describe to your wives what happened, you don't say anything about what you did? Nope. You just say that God gave them to me. He only points his wives to the hand of God. That's all he does. This is how Jacob sees it. This is what's happened to him. The hand of God gave them to me. And that's a lesson for us. When we look back at our lives, that's all we should see. Not our hand, but the hand of God which is what King David saw when he said in Psalm 16, 5, the Lord is my portion of my inheritance and my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, have a goodly heritage. See, when the, the history of the Jewish people was looked over in the description in Psalm 78, verse 55, it's described, he cast out the heathen also before them and divided them in inheritance by land and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Well, what about all those wars? What about all this, you know, we gathered the battle this way, gathered the battle that way, this many people were killed, this one killed so many. What about all that to remove them from Canaan? Nope, nope. What's seen? Oh, we don't see the military campaigns in Israel. All we see is he cast out the heathen. He cast out the heathen before them, divided the inheritance by line, made them dwell in tents. As a matter of fact, when Israel was tempted to say, look at what I did, God redirected them in Deuteronomy 6.10 when he said, it shall be. When the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land, which is swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities, which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, and vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. See, what the Lord was saying there, he was warning Israel. He said, look, if you look at what your hand did in all this, that's a slippery slope. That's a slippery slope that lands in forgetting God. That's why it's important, Israel, for you to see you live in cities you didn't build. You reside in houses you didn't build. Those houses are filled with things that you enjoy and you didn't fill them. You drink from wells you didn't dig. You eat from vineyards and olive trees you didn't plant. Why? Because of what it says in verse 9. God took them away from others and gave them to Israel. Israel was the recipient, and Israel's job was just be thankful. We are recipients of God's gifts, and our job, just be thankful. Only as our eyes are opened or our understanding is enlightened of how much we receive, will we be thankful? Which is why it says in Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. 
that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the changes that we see here in Jacob and that he became a thankful person, a God-centered person. And we pray that those same changes, Lord, would happen in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you have a heart for Israel and lost Jewish people in America? Then come work in Southern California as a full-time or volunteer missionary working with Tom Cantor in Israel Restoration Ministries reaching lost Jewish people with their Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. Hourly wage, 401k, health insurance, company car and phone, and other amazing benefits. Call us, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, israelrestoration.org.